Welcome to the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast. I'm Stuart Lorne and I'll be your host on this new series where each week we talk to designers and makers, artists and inventors who in some way use digital fabrication tools and processes in their work and business. I explore the stories of how they got started, the pros and cons of using digital tools and how technology has helped them develop their unique products. Plus, we get insights into how the COVID-19 situation has shaped their current and future plans for their businesses. And spoiler alert, it's not all doom and gloom. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Upper Shannon and Erin Future Economies Project, which covers the geographical area of counties Leitrim, Cavan, Longford and Roscommon. The aim of the project and this podcast is to inspire individuals, businesses and communities to proactively assist with the economic development of this region and to provide opportunities to develop new ideas and innovations through using digital fabrication technology. The Future Economies Project is a joint initiative between the local county enterprise offices, ESB and Bordner Mona. Just a note before we start today's episode where I'm talking to Louise Carroll, we had some issues with Louise's microphone for the first couple of minutes of the podcast. The audio does kind of change in tone from the beginning section, but once we get underway, it sorts itself out. So I hope it doesn't spoil too much of your enjoyment. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm delighted to be joined on the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast by Louise Carroll. Hi, Louise. Hi, Stuart. How are things? Good, good. Louise has her own business called Louise Carroll Designs. Do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about what Louise Carroll Designs does? Yeah, no bother. I mainly work with Slate, so um, making gift products, I suppose, mostly, um, but also a lot of house signs, um, plaques, things like that. Um, so I started the business off back in 2012. And it was mainly, I suppose, started making clocks, wall hangings, things like that, um, sandblasting, personalizing slate um, was, was how I started off. Um, nowadays, uh, I've expanded a bit in, I suppose, the materials that I can use and the, the methods, laser engraving, um, even sublimation printing, things like that. Okay. Where do you mostly sell your products? How do people kind of find out about it? Yeah, mostly online, uh, to be honest. So I have a Facebook page, which was probably what I started off with first and then moved from there to the website, which is www.louisecaroldesigns.ie. And I have pretty much everything up there. Um, So you would have templates of products or sample products up there. And then you, you know, when you add to the cart, you can add your own personalization, the details that you want for your particular order. And then aside from that, um, you can, if people were to contact me by email, say that's another thing, um, louise at louisecaroldesigns.ie. And I can pretty much, you know, work with whatever the, the client wants. And, you know, we can we can work on the design together. Um, other than that, then, yeah, it, it's, it's almost all online. And then you would have some, you know, business locally as well. But I work from, I don't have a shop as such. Um, I work from uh, from home. I have a workshop in the house here, which which works brilliantly. That's where you're calling us from today, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm in the attic at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, I guess I'm kind of interested to see how you got started with this. Really, like, you know, were you an arty, crafty, you know, kid at school? Has that, has that always been something that you've been interested in? Like, so yes, I was always artistic or into art. And I would have just only studied it at school, but loved it and did a lot of painting and drawing and things like that. 
But when I left school, I did agree, uh, did a degree in arts, um, in English and sociology, so not related to art at all. Um, and I went from that into a job in insurance. And I worked in commercial insurance for 10 years. And after that, then I, I just I needed I really wanted to get into something more artistic or crafty. So I was thinking of ways that I could maybe do that, um, something that would be a bit different, um, that, you know, that I could have a business out of as well and make a living from. So it started off by back in 2009, I think it was, I saw um, an auction online in the UK. Um, they were selling off um, uh, machinery and I bought a sandblasting cabinet with a view to um, engraving possibly glass. And had you heard about sandblasting before? Or? Yeah, my husband had suggested it to me because he worked in um, in a pharmaceutical uh, factory or um, business in Sligo. And he had suggested that they would use a sandblaster for sandblasting glass doors and things like that on cabinets for um, pharmaceutical machines. And thought it was nice, you know, that you could, you wouldn't have to be necessarily industrial like that, but it could be a more of a design side to it. So we got this cabinet and just got it back over here, and I had it set up yeah. practically in a in a shed, basically. And I was I tested it out on different materials. Um, started off with glass, but then I found slate, and it works really well with slate. Slate is lovely, and it's it's a soft stone, and it engraves really easily it's kind of starting from there the very first thing I did then was a clock for a friend of mine yeah and it sort of went from there that was back in 2009 and in 2012 I went full-time at it and uh, started the business from there and it's been going ever since so before that were you looking at different designs and how you might incorporate design into a product yeah I, I suppose I did a lot of research online um, to what, you know, who was sandblasting what, you know, what sort of products were out there, what I could use it for. And there, I mean, there are other, there are a lot of, um, I suppose, signs and things like that and plaques that people were doing. But I came up with the idea then of, you know, you know how you could make them a little bit different or I suppose more saleable. And yeah, that's where I came up with the idea of fitting up with the clock. And, um, you know, you can you can do them as wall hangings or even from that to picture frames where you would um, mix a bit of slate and clear acrylic um, to, to make it into a picture frame and things like that. But that's and really from there on, it came with people coming to me looking for things. So people would say, I want something for this, that or the other. And I would work with them and just try and think, you know, how, how we could how we could do that and that that's what happened from there really is is people requesting things right okay and just trying to accommodate that okay so you, so you started getting people asking could they do their own design yeah it was a really slow burner um to be honest at the start um it was kind of word of mouth family and friends and things like that and yeah. you know yourself then the word of mouth is brilliant uh, someone might see something in somebody else's house and think i wonder would she be able to do this with it you know and that's a lot of the time i didn't know you, you don't know if you can do these things but you give it a go and you, i would always give things a go what was the first thing you um sort of made that you thought i'm really proud of this and and this is something i could i could see myself doing what was the can you remember oh <laughs> Oh, let me see. 
Well, I have to say this this is a particular this is more that it's a big one. Um it's something big that I never thought I never thought I could have achieved this. But back in um a number of years ago, I was asked to do a project for the UN training school in uh, the Curra. And they I did a uh, made a monument which just would have been completely over, over my head, say when I started the business. But um it was just much larger in scale to what I was used to. Um I built my own sandblasting cabinet, uh, not sandblasting cabinet, sandblasting booth to try and com- accommodate this larger piece of, of slate. It was, um, I got it from uh, the Valencia Quarry in Kerry. And I, I just, there was a really nice design on that. And it was for the 25th anniversary of the UN, UN training school in the Curra. It's been on the RTE news uh, where dignitaries have been visiting the school. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in various magazines and things like that. And that now is just a sense of huge pride for me. I'm absolutely delighted with that particular one. And I, you know, I never thought I could have achieved it. Only somebody asked me if I could. And we took it from there, you know. Fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, Do, do you have... Uh... Um, any pictures of that up on on your website? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, I'd say it's probably yeah. In um, I have a gallery in the website as well of products that I have done. So I would imagine that that it's I think it's up on that as well, and it definitely would have been on my Facebook page as well at the time. Okay, we'll check that out definitely. Yeah, I guess one question is I know a little bit about sandblasting, but for people that don't know what sandblasting entails, how how do you go about sandblasting, and, and how does that um, relate to say using digital technologies. Okay, so for I suppose sandblasting is quite manual, really. Um, where digital comes in will be um, I use stencils for the slate to to sandblast through. So I use a plotter for that, um, a graph tech cutting plotter. Um, so I use then GraphTech Studio would be the um, the program that I use for that. So I would do my design up on the computer and then it the plotter would cut out the stencil. Then I have to weed the stencil. Basically, you're picking out the bits that you need to sandblast through. And that's where the um, the technology, I suppose, would, would come into it. And other than that, then the sandblasting is quite manual. You have a sandblasting cabinet. Um, so you open a door on the side of it. You have two, it's enclosed. You have two gloves that you put your hands in through and you have a, a viewing window and it's pressurized sand. You use a gun used in conjunction with the compressor and it blasts out the, the slate and you have an extractor there as well, just taking out the, the dust or the waste from it. Um, but it's very effective, but it is quite old school and quite manual. And that's, I suppose, how I really got into the laser engraving, because I needed something that would achieve more detail than the sandblasting. The sandblasting is quite um, rustic, I suppose. With your stencils, you're using vinyl for that or what do you use? Yes, it's a specific heavy duty sandblasting vinyl. Okay. So it's a heavy duty sandblasting vinyl and it, it's thick, so the this the sand tends to not lift it off the slate when you're sandblasting it. Okay, right. Okay. So essentially you're creating a, a reverse image almost. You're cutting out a shape and, and leaving the hole where you want the, the sand to blast away. The vinyl kind of masks the bit you want to leave sort of intact. That's exactly it. It's a masking, a, a mask really for it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You were saying the laser engraving allows you to sort of achieve similar results with more fine detail. So what were you not able to do with the sandblasting that you are able to do with the uh, with the laser engraving? 
Um, over the years, I found an awful lot of people were asking me if I could engrave photographs um, or, say, images of, of people on Slate, um, which you can imagine for the likes of presentations and things like that will be very popular. I could do them on glass to a certain extent. Well, actually, I couldn't get that much detail on glass either. But um, so I was thinking, how could I do this? You can't do it with a sandblaster because you have a stencil. So you can't get the details of a face um, or a photograph like that. You could get crude enough lines. And, and sometimes that effect is lovely. You know, you might just have outlines and things like that. And I've often done that with maybe you might have an image of a building um, or a profile of a face, things like that. But you can only get so much I did a bit of research and found that a laser engraver would do that job for me on the surface of the slate. So whereby sandblasting is, is engraving, is cutting down into the slate, um, the laser engraver engraves on the surface of the slate. It's not a, a, a deep engrave and it will pick up fantastic detail. Um, so you get your photographs and things like that. So you, I could engrave mirrors and timber. You can use different materials as well that I hadn't used before. So with, with sandblasting, you're kind of restricted to certain types of materials you can use. So sort of, you, obviously, you need kind of harder materials. Would that be a fair assessment? Yes, correct. Like, I, I think so. Um, well, from my experience, anyway, I've only used it for um, stone. Um, different types of stone, um, mostly slate in my in in my work. Um, I've used it for mirrors as well, but it's very very unforgiving with mirrors. If you are um sandblasting a piece of mirror and it lifts any part of the vinyl at all, you're gone. You know, it just it, it engraves outside right. the vinyl. Slate is very forgiving. You know, you can if you were to um overspray something on slate, a little bit of slate oil um will will blend it in nicely. But a mirror, there's there's no going back. You know, so the laser is. Going for that it does exactly what you want it to right okay um, and the laser engraver you have when did you get that it started I suppose back in 2016 I started looking into it and I attended one of your your own uh, fab lab uh, the laser cutting taster workshop that you did there in Manor Hamilton just to get a, a taste I think it's exactly what it did just to get a taste of what late what was involved in laser engraving and to see it in action was brilliant um, so that was like a, a half day workshop you went in, we saw it in action, we saw the software, um, what it does, and that just confirmed for me that that would work for me. So from there, um, I looked into where would I buy one and what would I do? So I ended up, um, the local enterprise office, the Leitrim local enterprise office gave me great support. Um, they gave me funding towards um, the laser and I bought it from a company in the UK. And they were, um, I think, I suppose it's essentially a Chinese laser. And but it's it's a it's a big machine. It's a 70, 700 by five hundred bed on it. Um, it's a CO two laser, and it's a, a sixty watt tube in it. So it's been working great so far. That's twenty seventeen to up to today. So the bed size you're talking about that's that's the sort of the maximum area of of material that you can actually put into the laser to be engraved yes that's the maximum engraving area but if you had say a much longer or wider piece of material but you just needed to engrave a 70 by 50 um area on it you can do that there's there's a there's kind of a section of panel that opens in the back that will allow you to slide in say if you had a long piece of timber and it can slide out the back and, you know, you can adjust it then. Um, but 
for the most part, I would only work with, I, I wouldn't work with anything really larger than the than the 70 by 50. Um, so it works really well for me. And then the bed is adjustable as well. So the bed can move up and down, allowing you to put um, thicker materials into it or, or taller materials in for engraving. So say um, somebody came to you and they had a photograph um, that they wanted to engrave onto a piece of slate. What what would be the kind of process you would use to get that on a slate for, a, say, a wall hanging? Yes. Okay. So the first thing I would do is you want to, I'd work with the customer on the design, first of all. And uh, so that would be done up on the computer and, you know, I'd email it to them. We'd check that, get that sorted first. Um, that's done. I would, I use Inkscape um, for the, the design work. Then the next thing is I have a slate guillotine here. So I cut the slate to size myself. Then I would paint the slate black. It's already black, of course, but you get a much better effect on the laser engraving, the, the blacker it is, you know, and you still get the, the completely natural effect, uh, the, the natural look, you know, it just enhances the color. Is that a special type of paint? No, not at all. It's just a, a spray paint, basically. Okay. Um, and it, so then it just lasers on the top of that. The, the effect is, is re, it's really effective. It's lovely. It comes out really well. That's it. That's it basically done. You would have um, whatever fittings have to be done at the, at the end. You know, it might need a rope fitting. There might be a clock attached or it might, it might be framed. The Inkscape software, what, what does that allow you to do in terms of like uh, controlling the laser? Um, for people that don't, don't know sort of laser engraving, how, how are you sort of like manipulating the, the image to, to sort of bring it onto the laser? Yeah, well, it doesn't do it as such. But what I would have to say, I would have to save the image as a DXF file in Inkscape. And then I have a program called RD Works, which is what drives the laser, basically. So I would have to import that image then. And then there's, I mean, it took me a long time to learn how to do how to do this. And it was all sort of trial and error, Stuart, and, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. But using printing or laser engraving photos, it's not straightforward. So you bring your image in from Inkscape into RG Works, and then there's kind of tweaking that you have to do in there to get it laser ready. And then you are attached by USB uh, connection to the laser, and you just, you, you when you have it all ready to go, you just send it from the RG Works program then. So there are various settings then for the speed of the laser head, um, what you're working with, say, if I was doing a cut with the laser, it'd be completely different settings to an engrave. Did you get any kind of formal training on this or, or, or have you literally been kind of feeling your way through it as you, as, as, as you go? Yeah, literally, uh, that's your word. Basically, when the, when the laser arrived, we got, um, I had a visit from the uh, one of the technicians in the company that I bought it from. He came over, he gave a couple of hours uh, instruction on the particular laser, but that was it. I mean, I was in the dark after that. I had no idea. I'd never worked with anything like that before. So it was all trial and error, every bit of it. Um, YouTube is amazing. Watching videos, instructional videos. And Stuart, as you know yourself, I've been in contact with you many times <laughs> looking for advice and dig outs. And how do you do this? What happens if this happens? And you know yourself, you know what, you, you have errors with them sometimes and problems and you're like, I have no idea where to go from here. But I will sit down and I will spend the time and I will figure it out. You know, it, it will always get figured out in the end. Um, so, yeah, never say die. Keep going at it and, you know, you get there. But I suppose that's the only way to learn really is, is by trying it out and giving it a go. How does sort of designing for sort of laser engraving differ from designing for the for the sandblasting? You're obviously doing 
using digital processes in both of them, but there's sort of distinct differences, I guess, between the two. And, and which one are you sort of like enjoying more? <laughs> the the laser engraving is, yeah, the laser engraving is trickier. Um, when you're designing for it, um, I suppose there's more variables uh, whereby the sandblasting, you're just, you're designing to cut a stencil, you know, and once you have that done, it's all done manually. But you know yourself, technology on the laser and things can go wrong and you have to have your settings right and you have to have all your ducks in a row. And if you don't, the design could be widely off. Sometimes say if you were an engraving a mirror and you don't have your settings right and, it, you know, it's coming out too faint or it's too dark or it's not engraving the right areas you want it to. And like there are just, there, there are minefields along the way. It's not as straightforward and it takes, it takes practice with the laser. Or the, the sandblasting is definitely more straightforward. Okay, yeah. As well as the trickiness maybe of getting the laser cutting right, the benefits outweigh the learning curve. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the advantages of the laser are huge. What it can do is just, oh, it, it, you can get some just amazing effects from it. Um, it's definitely worth it. And it's definitely worth your time and your effort and, and the you know, the, the trickiness. Um, and, and I'm saying it's tricky because I'm self-taught. You know, somebody that maybe has training in it, you know, it's a walk in the park. But I'm kind of learning as I go along every day and trying new things and even new materials, things like that, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's worth it, definitely. And in terms of materials for the laser, like, you know, you say you can use much wider range of materials for the laser than with the sandblaster. Like, what have you been experimenting with and what, what have you found has kind of caught your imagination? Yeah, so um, since the sandblasting, I've, I've done, well, I've always worked with glass to a certain extent, but timber was new for me. Um, so I would use laser, laser uh, ply and I can make signs and things like that with it or even engrave for wall hangings or, or art pieces and it comes out lovely and, and painting that so timber um, acrylic was completely new to me as well and I use that um, for slate and acrylic house signs or picture frames so I can cut that and I can engrave it and that uh, that's lovely as well I've even I've tried engraving on leather how did that turn out yeah, really good, actually. Yeah, it was lovely. I've done a couple of wallets and things like that. Now, not a lot, but, you know, it's we give, give anything a go. Even, um, you know, you can do phone covers and things like that. You could you could find anything thrown into it here, Stuart, on, on any given day, you know. But uh, mostly, yeah, mostly it's the slate these days. Yeah. I mean, I know you, you do custom work. Are you sort of like working on any designs of your own that you want to create your own kind of Louise Carroll design brand? To be perfectly honest, I don't have the time even to go down that road. I'm extremely busy at the minute, thankfully. Um, I mean, maybe someday. Um, I haven't looked into it at all, um, really. I, I suppose back in the start when I, when I wasn't so busy, I did look at making more um, generic. And you know, generic doesn't sound like the right word, but you say a product that you would have, you could have multiples of and just reproduce. But um what sells for me is the personalized products um, and they sell over and over, which which is brilliant. And as they say, smell what sells. So that's what I'm, I'm concentrating on at the minute. And it's it's working really well. And I've kept really, really busy. And even since the, the lockdown and all of that, it's it's gone really busy, which is, is super, really. So if we can keep that going, it'd be great. So like, if I was just going to ask you, actually, how has the lockdown and COVID affected your business? It's sounding like it hasn't. <laughs> no. Well, in the first, I would say the first week, it was quiet. And I thought, right, this is the way it's going to be. 
Um, but I think it was just, I suppose, people were keep it, uh, were busy with um, the new restrictions and, you know, probably didn't know what was going on and things like that. And then after that, it just took off. And I think what it was, Stuart, is that I would do an awful lot of house signs, slate house signs, you know, the people's house names on them or house numbers. And people are spending time at home and they're doing a lot of DIY or they're tidying up their houses. You see a lot of people, you know, the, the gardens in the, off the country are looking the best they ever looked and, you know, getting a lot of DIY. So that got really busy. Um, the things I missed out on then are I would have done a lot of wedding gifts, you know, and they're gone completely. Yeah, I do find that. But I find that the other side then um, kind of house products and things like that um, have kept me going. And but from um, a personal perspective, we have um, we've two small boys here and they're off school since March. And my husband, Kieran, he's working at home um, since the since the lockdown began. Um, so it's just trying to keep everything balanced. Um, I mean, there could be late nights here. You could be working here at 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning just to try and keep on top of things. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to keep the whole, you know, keep everyone looked after. So this isn't a kind of a nine to five job. This is kind of a, a passion business where you're having to sort of work to the orders that, you know, you're getting in. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's definitely not nine to five. I mean, it's evenings, it's early mornings, it's weekends. And then, you know, at, at the flip side of that is I can be there uh, during the day when Kieran is working and the boys, you know, they need to, to be looked after and, you know, spend time with them as well. Or during the school year, I can go, say if there was, I needed to go up to the school or at the drop of a hat, I can leave if I had to, if there's appointments, if there's, you know, doctor's appointments, things like that. When you work for yourself and you work from home, there are definite advantages to it. You know, it gives you more freedom as well. So I can choose when to work as long as I get the work done you know was the main thing yeah so it, it just gives you a lot of flexibility to have your own workshop is the workshop taking over the house how do you keep that sort of separated <laughs> no it's not it, it, it's not at all the attic is where I am we have that converted and it is everything I need in it I never need to bring my work below the attic um, I have there's a shed the, shed the compressor is in the shed outside that's the only other thing I need to be in and out to but it's completely self-contained it can be noisy um, is the only thing so the when the sandblaster is running that's very noisy the laser itself noisy enough um, but the sandblaster and the compressor are, are quite noisy that's the only thing now that, that could affect the, the household but it doesn't really either you know like I'm two stories up so it, it's fine it doesn't interfere with family life say <laughs> so when you're trying to do those sandblasting jobs at midnight you're not uh, <laughs> waking the kids and the neighbours <laughs> yeah sure that doesn't happen so much <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's not really an option. Yeah, I have a, they're definitely nine to five. I think the sandblasted. <laughs> the neighbours wouldn't be too keen on that either, I think. <laughs> so just, is, is there any um, new skills or anything? I mean, everybody's, you know, during lockdown has been sort of like, you know, learning a language or, you know, doing Keep Fit with Joe. Uh, is uh, is there any new skills that you've um, been uh, been working on or, or is there anything in the future that, that you'd like to try out? I don't know really. Um, I I do tend to look at new things every so often. Um, I haven't really during the lockdown as such, but recently, say just before that, I got into sublimation, which is uh, again people looking for photos on Slate, 
Um, so I bought a sublimation press and again, trial and error, um, trying to see how, how I could print on, on, on the slate. Can you tell, tell us what sublimation is for people that don't know? Yes. So it's basically, I have a heat press. Um, you, I buy special slate that's pre-coated with a white coating. Then I have a, a printer that, a special printer where I buy sublimation inks. Uh, for that. So when I print with that, the color comes out when it's printed out, it comes out slightly muddy looking or, you know, just not the right colors. But when you press that with heat onto the slate, it takes about 10 minutes or so in the heat press. Um, it comes out a fantastic glossy uh, finish. Um, so you can print if you have a nice photograph um, it comes out fantastically well. Um, whereas the laser, if I'm laser engraving, it's always ever going to be an engraved effect. But here you can have the actual photo, vibrant photo, but you have the texture of the slate around the edges and it's beautiful. So that's that was new to me in the last um, year or so. Um, and that's, they're, they're, they're lovely as well. And they're, they're less expensive, say, than my other products. So it's nice to have a range okay. available, if you know what I mean. You know what the starting at a lower price point, which is great. It's always good to have as well. They take kind of less time to make because essentially you're printing onto the slate in a kind of a press print finish onto the slate. Yeah, they take a lot less time, um, which is it's great. Um, they take like you, you would. I spend time designing them, of course, and printing and pressing them. I mean, it, they take time, but they take a lot less than the other products I make, which is, is great. Yeah. So like the sublimation stuff would be the sort of like lower cost, then sort of laser engraving kind of in the middle. And then the sandblasting obviously takes the most kind of work because it's a much more manual process. That's it, Stuart. For the, the sandblasting, it's all about time. Yeah. You know yourself, yeah. like they take a long time to do. You know, after you sandblast, for the most part, you're hand painting then as well. I'm painting and, you know, there's hours and hours involved. In all right. Okay. So there is a kind of post-production process after the sandblasting itself to sort of make the, the product ready, yeah? Oh, definitely. But it's, it's very raw once it comes out. So you have, it, it still would have all its vinyl on it. That has to be taken off. It has to be washed down. I, they're nearly always painted. So um, some, some are spray painted with the stencil on, some are hand painted. Um, but even when they're spray painted, you have an overspray kind of through the stencil that all has to be cleaned up. There's a lot of time afterwards, but it's amazing, um, Stuart, even from there, like I do, most of my orders are shipped so the time that goes into packaging, you wouldn't believe it. You know, like there's there's a lot of time in the evenings here spent packaging products, and um, you just you don't think of it when you're you know when you're when you're starting out. But um, down to that, yes, there's a lot post sandblasting basically to to get the product out to the client. And, and they're they're heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're heavy. They're heavy, and you have to they have to be so well packaged. Yeah. Absolutely. And are you using the laser cutter to sort of make some sort of custom packaging at all? Is that something that you uh, have looked into? I have done a, a, a bit. Um, I've made boxes in the past um, for specific things. If I can't get a box the right size, I can just cut it from the cardboard here and um, things like that. I can make kind of jigs from the laser. It's It's a handy tool to have like that. Um, or, you know, templates um, for cutting the slate even. I might, you know, if I have waste materials here, I can make templates for cutting the house signs. And, you know, like I don't have to measure out each time with a ruler. I can just go around, you know, the, the standard size templates. Yeah, that's it. Packaging wise. Yeah, I've done a few boxes and things or even I've done um, 
boxes for wine bottles, presentation boxes for wine bottles from timber, things like that. Um, it, 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 yeah, it's a very useful tool to have. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So do you consider yourself a craftsperson or a maker or a designer? How, how, how do you describe yourself when, when people ask you, you know, what, what do you do? <laughs> it's a funny one, Stuart. And it's one I've always struggled with. I don't know what I am. <laughs> Like, um, I, I suppose craft worker, um, if I was filling out a form and I had occupation, I think I'd put craft worker on it. Um, like I don't, artist, not so much because, you know, it's, it's more craft, it's more hands-on. Um, yeah, I think, I think craft workers is different disciplines and different things I do. So yeah, I think craft, but it's, it's a funny one for me. I've always kind of struggled with that one now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Have you done any of the sort of like the big shows at the RDS or any of those type of type of things, or, or have you found that you've you've not really needed to? Yeah, I I have in in general I've found that I've not really needed to because I just have the business at a size at the minute that's manageable with the family and things like that. But having said that, um, a number of years ago, I can't think what year it was, but um, I won a competition um, from Bank of Ireland to uh, and I won a stall a stand at the RDS, the craft fair, the Christmas craft fair. Um, that was an amazing experience. So I had a stall at the fair for, I think it was almost a week. So that was a huge prize to win. And I was delighted with that. It was good. It was great experience. Um, but I suppose what I find with those is that because so much of my work is personalized, I don't have that much to show apart from, say, photographs of ones, because once things are made, they're gone. You know, once it, something is made, it's gone out. They're, they're gone. Yeah. You don't make. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, get I don't have a stuff as such to display. Yeah. Now, I know I could put the time in and do that, but there, there will be massive work involved in doing that as well. Yeah, I, I get you. But again, if I had to, I could, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. Do you do you make stuff uh, for yourself around the house, or or do, are you kind of <laughs> a kind of one of those yeah. lazy DIY people that have all the tools, but like? <laughs> uh, no, I no idea. We've the odd uh, few bits and bobs about the place, even like breadboards and the like. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think now, and it's you know we have a sign on our own house, and yeah, if I can, I will. But I am probably more towards the side of one of those lazy DIY people, or that you can't get a builder to do work in their own house kind of thing. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. A bit, a bit, Stuart, yeah. Excellent. Um, so I think we mentioned at the beginning, but where's the best place for people to kind of find out about your work and, and, and have a look? The website, for sure, um, louisecaroldesigns.ie. There's, there's a lot on it. You know, you will see a lot of different examples of my work that I've done before, but I will say, if you don't see something on it, you have something in mind, definitely worth contacting me. The best way to get me is by email to louise at louisecaroldesigns.ie. And I, you know, I will work with people on what they need. Um, if they don't see exactly what they like, like you might see something that's there in a frame and they might not want it framed. They might want it to be in a stand or, you know, they might see something that isn't there at all. And, you know, I'm always willing to give it a go, Stuart, to see if I can help out in any way. But yeah, so that's the website. I have a Facebook page as well. Okay, that's perfect. And for anyone that's kind of thinking maybe of kind of getting involved in in using digital tools and digital fabrication, what would you say? Would you uh, advise them to, uh, to to jump in or? 
Yeah, I, I definitely, Stuart. I it's the best thing I've ever done. I absolutely love it. You know, to do a job that you enjoy, um, you know, that you love every day. There's nothing like it. And if you felt that um, it's something you would enjoy, you know, do do your homework on it. Look into it. There are you, the I found the Leitrim Enterprise Office was such a great support to me, from start your own business courses to funding. You know, if it was available. Um, there are ways of doing things, and and you don't even have to you know buy new machinery all the time. Keep an eye out for auctions, um, secondhand, or even people in the industry might know. Even like say yourself, Stuart, you were a good help to me as well when I was looking to buy, um, the laser. You know, it's def. I would definitely advise it. Um, it's a great occupation to have, and you learn, you know, new skills. And I definitely would would recommend taking the plunge. Yeah, great stuff. Listen, thanks for joining us today um, on the uh, Maker Hub podcast, and uh, good luck with all your designs in future. Thanks, Louise. Thanks so much, Stuart. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Cool. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fab Lab Maker Hub podcast. You can contact us via email at info at fablabmh.org. Also, we have a Facebook page, Fab Lab MH, and a Twitter account, Fab Lab MH. You can get in touch with us through any of those means. Our website is www.makerhub.ie. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe. Tell your friends and thanks for tuning in. Since I saw you last, since I saw you last.